Well, this morning I've just um, have a message that the Lord's been putting on my heart for a while, and I, when I, by the time I finished preparing it, I, I felt I'd only half done it. So there might be a part two, because there's just so much um, in this. So I'm just wondering if you could just put up the first slide, and then we'll just get right into it, because the Lord's just here and touching us at this time. You know, Sally and I attended a, a marriage cinema a while back where the speaker was outlining the differences between men's brains and women's brains. A very amusing topic. We, we both look at it from different angles, don't we, men and women? <laughs> he was saying it's very hard for a wife or mother to get a man to do something, especially if he doesn't want to. And not necessarily because he has decided he doesn't want to do it, but it's often just because he hasn't registered in his brain that he should be doing it. An example would be putting folding washing away. <laughs> Even putting the pile of washing in the hall right outside his bedroom will not coerce, coerce a man or teenage boy to put it away. To make matters worse, he will more likely step over it, oblivious to its existence, unless programmed to do otherwise. If a man's brain doesn't see it as part of his job description, then this neat pile of socks and undies could remain in the hall floor until he runs out of said items. Then in distress, he will call out, where's my socks and undies? And it sounds so ridiculous. The speaker went on to say that if it doesn't register in his brain that a job is part of his role, then it's highly likely he won't see the obvious. Anybody in here like that? <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> in Proverbs we read, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. Anyway, I'm sure most of the men and young men in here are good with their washing and other chores and try to please the one living with them. Amen? But it doesn't, <laughs> didn't get a very big amen there. But sometimes due to a little misunderstanding, we can also do the exact opposite of what we are being asked. I must put up a couple of pictures up here. Now, if you could do slide three for me. Now, at our kitchen, Sally Ann was very strong in that she wanted the bowl, the jug, hanging outside the bowl. Now, all I heard really was that she didn't want it chipped, so I would carefully put it inside the bowl, thinking I was doing the right job. Sally would remind me that that's not the way to do it. So next time I'm putting the dishes away, again I'd be thinking, yeah, don't chip the handle, put it carefully in. Well, this created quite a bit of frustration, rightly so, on Sally Ann's part, until I got it. Now when I do the dishes, I hang the bowl with the handle outside, and peace reigns in my home. I thought I was doing the right job. I thought I was being careful, but it wasn't following the instructions. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Joy. 
I think the disciples had a little issue with their job description when it came to the story of the loaves and fishes. Jesus, it says, was testing their faith, and they were wondering how on earth they were going to feed that enormous crowd. You can just imagine the conversation, Philip to John. He said, what? He wants what? <laughs> you know, you heard him. Feed the 5,000. <laughs> and so that was their job description. And I think Jesus would have been pleased if they had stepped out in faith, but they didn't see it that way. Even nowadays with a guidebook, the Bible, we still have trouble with our job description, especially the faith elements. We're good at doing good stuff. In fact, the church is really good at doing stuff. But we can also miss some really important things. The book of Revelation was written at a time when Christians were being persecuted because of their faith. And the Revelation was designed to give readers hope and encouragement and to urge believers to remain faithful during times of suffering and persecution. You know, when we think of the book of Revelation, we think of the prophecy. We think of it speaking ahead. But to those people it was being written to, they were going through some really, really hard times. And some were um, being killed. In the, in the letters to the seven churches, Jesus saw what they were doing well and complimented them for these things. But he also pointed out their failings and offered remedies. Why? Why did he offer remedies? Because he loved them and he wanted them to succeed. And he loves us and he wants us to succeed. You may be familiar with how they were written, but here are a couple of excerpts out of um, some of the letters to Ephesus and Pergamum and uh, Thyatira and Sardis. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. So here he's, he's speaking into them and saying, look, I know you're doing a good job. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Right? I don't know if you have a, jo if you have a performance appraisal. Anybody gets a performance appraisal at work? Any government department would probably get a performance appraisal. So the boss normally tells you all the good things, and then he says, shut the door. <laughs> and then you know you're going to get sort of a kicking. But anyway, Jesus goes on to say in, um, to Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. And again, to Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. So I'm just bringing this out that God can tell us, and we can be doing a great job, but there are sometimes things that we are just missing the mark. So how would Jesus describe us here in Kaitaia? as a church. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul says, therefore, I want the men, 
everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. You can, this is the time to squirm in your seat. You're allowed to, all right? Paul's exhortation to Timothy was an expectation that the men of the church were to pray. In fact, to lift up holy hands in prayer. Funnily enough, the next verse, verse 9, which I haven't got up there, has had way more attention over the centuries. I've never heard people coming into a church and complaining that men are not lifting up their hands and praying. But the next verse says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Which verse do you think you're going to hear more about and have over the last couple of hundred years? We quickly bowl the ball down the aisle. Men should pray, and the ball goes into the gutter and slides down, and we go off track. It's so easy to skip past verse 8, but it says, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Right through the Bible, men are called to pray and pray in church. But unfortunately, over the years, we have seen a decline in men praying. They keep stepping over the pile of neatly folded laundry, oblivious to their role. Heaven's gates, hell's flames. I don't know if any of you have been involved in that in, in your church. Um, it's usually quite a production. I know the West Church did it a couple of times. I think it was up here. Did anybody seen Heaven's Gate, Hell's Flames, been part of that? It's where you, go, you break into, they have skits, and the people come, uh, have an accident. They're sitting on the stage doing something, and then they die, um, figuratively, and uh, then they, the trumpets sound, and there they're before the pearly gates. You know, like we're going to be. When you die, there's an ad on TV where they're all sitting there and they're looking ghostly white, all right? And then the dog came out of the gate anyway. Anyway, enough of that. But there's a skit. And there's a father and son skit, all right? And they both died in a car crash. And they're now standing there, as you can see, before the Purdue gates, looking at the angel, checking to see if their names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not a very good photo, but I got it off the internet, and you can see right up the top there, there's an angel looking in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. But while waiting, the father says, we should be sweet. Your mother prays enough for all three of us. Ha, ha, ha. Guess what? Their names weren't in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. And the devil comes out and, and took them away and dragged them off to hell. It's quite a sobering thing, really. There is an expectancy that if somebody's praying for me, I'm sweet. I don't have any responsibility for myself. But who here is willing to chance this no responsibility option and leave it up to others to do all the praying, hoping Someone will do enough prayers for them. Anybody willing to go down that road? This doesn't mean we are not thankful. In fact, very thankful for those who have prayed for us. 
and still pray for us. I certainly am. I'm glad that my mother prayed. When she came to salvation, I'm glad that she prayed during my teenage years. I'm glad that she prayed for me and and our family. I'm glad that I had a praying grandmother. In fact, I only found that out later that my grandmother, who I didn't know for very long before she passed away, she was a praying woman. But I know that now I also have a responsibility to pay it on, and I need to be praying for others. And unfortunately, in the Western world, most prayer is done by women. And many prayer meetings have a greater number of women than men. Have you ever noticed that? Well, those few that have come to the prayer meeting would have noticed that, of course. But that's what, unfortunately, is what's happening. And that's not saying that women should not pray or even take a lead in prayer. But I believe the men can no longer leave it up to the woman. Amen? Men, should we leave it up to the woman? You know, when Kathy did a shout-out for the youth, there was a bit of a noise, wasn't there? There was a bit of enthusiasm. Should we leave it up to the woman, men? Hallelujah, we're getting somewhere. It's everyone's responsibility, though. It's not just the women. It's not just the men. It's all our responsibility. I'm actually gladdened by the enthusiasm shown for prayer from our limitless youth. I'm gladdened by it. It gladdens my heart. 29 people praying on Friday night here. Doesn't excite anybody? Did anybody get excited over the game last night? Right. Let's have some enthusiasm, please, Cecil. (laughs) Anybody get excited about the game the night before? But, you know, to have 29 young people coming early to Limitless to pray is absolutely fantastic. You know, in the, in the prayer meeting when we were out there this morning, two or three faithful people, and then the young people came out to pray. You know, you could have been having your breakfast at that time, putting on a bit of lipstick. <laughs> Maybe you're just getting in the car. But you've got 30 young people out there praying for the church service. Who should be out there? Everyone. In fact, the prayer meeting should be bigger than this meeting. Now we can all squirm in our seats. Paul was strong in his desire to see the church praying. It says in 1 Timothy there, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. And in chapter 2, it goes on to say, I urge then, first of all, in other words, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. Why? Because it goes on to say that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So the key to that is prayer. 
And that's what we want to live, surely. But we want it without praying, because praying is too hard. So not only to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, but Paul goes on to say, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So prayer births evangelists. Prayer gives boldness to the saints. Prayer gives clarity to the gospel message in all of our lives so that we can share our faith. But it's birthed in what? Prayer. So we can do all the good things. We can do lots of good stuff. But if we're not praying, we're really just spinning our wheels. There's always a cry to see souls saved, and rightly so. But Paul places prayer at the top of the to-do list. So I've made a to-do list. For men as well, prayer. Put the washing away, all right? Read your Bible, <laughs> love your neighbors, and be generous. Amen? We've got to stop stepping over stuff and hoping that it'll just happen. A verse we all probably know off by heart sits in the middle of an interesting conversation God had with Solomon just after he had finished building the temple and his palace. And you'll know this verse off by heart, but we'll, get through, we'll start at the beginning. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out what? All he had in mind to do. So when we finish carrying out all that we have in mind to do in the temple of the Lord in his own place, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, when I shut up the heavens, now who shut up the heavens? When God shut up the heavens? When I shut up the heavens so there was no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send the plague among my people, when I do these things, God's saying, and this could be Kaitaya, he could have shut up things up here, he could be allowing things to happen. He says, when I do that, then it says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So it's almost like it's a challenge to us where God is saying, I'm just going to bring a bit of hardship there. But the purpose is that my people will pray. And of course, his people are just hoping things would get fixed up. We see here God can put a hold on things. He can also even cause drought. But Paul spoke about lifting up holy hands. And many people can't bring themselves to do this, even in church. And I'm not saying as a pastor you must do that. But the Bible exhorts us to lift up holy hands. And I'm sure that if you were in a bank and a robber came in pointing a gun, your hands would go straight up. You wouldn't have an issue with it. But to raise your hands when we were praying Jesus, thank you, Emma and guys, for that song. When we could just actually say the name Jesus, some people find that hard to say. You get people saying, Abba Father, which is, all these are fine, Heavenly Father, God, you know, but very few people actually just say, Jesus, I love him. And so that, that song was just absolutely fabulous as we could say the name of Jesus. We find it hard to put our hands up 
in worship. Some of you probably never done it. Some of you feel too embarrassed to do it. But you actually surrender your heart and say, Lord, I love you. I love you. And God's asking us to do that, to humble ourselves and to pray. And it breaks the hold that the self has, that self has over us. I don't need God. I don't need to pray. I don't need to do that stuff. And I don't want to. I'm self-sufficient. Forgetting the words of Jesus who says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But going back to the, the book of Chronicles, just to finish off that story with Solomon, it goes on to say, now, my, this is God speaking, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered where? In this place, in the temple. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now we can, of course, quickly say, well, that temple has now come down. But I just want to um, put up a, a little slide here and just tell you a little story about this slide. Sally and I went to visit a house, and we went to knock on the door, and they said, sorry, you can't come in that door. It's jammed. You'll have to go around the other, the other side. So we'd go right around the house. It was a bit of a rigmarole, and we got, got in through the ranch slider on the other side. And anyway, they said it was jammed. And I, you know, talking to the guy, it's been jammed for quite a while. It was an aluminium frame. And the, the, the aluminium door on it was, was stuck. So I said to the guy, let's go down and have a look underneath your house. All right? Can we get underneath there? And we got underneath there, and, of course, one of his piles had dropped. And, of course, that causes the, the joist to be down as well, which causes the door to jam. So we went back a while later, and we jacked up the pile, all right, packed it, and the door was able to open again. And that's what our life can be like. And that's why I've drawn that sort of a funny sort of a picture with a door there and a joist and the piles underneath our house. And there are more piles than that. But we, when we, we lack prayer, then there are things likely to go wrong in our house. And the sad thing is we put up with it. We put up with a sticky door. They put up for a long time. And every time that somebody come to that door, because it was the closest to where you parked the car, they'd send them around the house. And how often do we and you put up with things in your life through actually a lack of prayer? And God is just waiting for us to pray. And we see this through the stories that there's a part for us to play. He wants prayer. And he wants to hear prayer in his house. You have drought, then you have prayer, and then you have fertility. You have locusts and pests, you have prayer, you have prosperity in your life. You have sickness, you have prayer, and then you have health in your life. There's an order. We know Solomon's temple has long gone, all right? The wailing wall is there at the base of it at the moment, and mankind can cry out to God anywhere and at any time, I know that. But God's house, his house of worship, is still as important to him today as it was in the Old Testament. Believe it or not. Remember the story from Mark 
On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? That's us, all nations. The gospel message hadn't gone out at that stage. It went out after Jesus died and rose again. It went out to all nations. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, which he prophesied that this should be happening right now, right here. We read in John, because these, again, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. These parallel stories beg two questions. Nowadays, who has a zeal for God's house? And secondly, who considers the church of today as a house of prayer? So just say in your heart, do I have a zeal for God? And do I have, do I consider the church as a house of prayer? I've said it before, I love you people. I love Sundays. I love serving alongside you and see no difference between the preacher and the person who stacks chairs after the service. We are all full-time ministers of the gospel and we are all called to pray in his house. The money changers and animal traders Jesus chased away had legitimate jobs even if they were charging exuberant prices. Travelers arriving at the temple needed to exchange their foreign currency to pay the temple tax. And if you didn't keep birds or animals, you had to buy animals for your service. So they were doing a necessary job. But this market practice had crept into the temple, and we today have to be very careful that market practices that appear legitimate, do not crowd out the zeal for his house in our hearts and the call to pray in his church. If you guys were to think of reasons why you're not in the prayer meeting, this is what I'm saying. What market practices prevent you from being in prayer? Is it something on TV? Is it you have to cook dinner? Is it because you've worked a hard day in, the, in wherever? Is it because you think you might smell? What is, what is the reason that keeps you out of prayer in the house of God? Have you only got Sunday mornings? It's the only time you can squeeze in. I've been down this road a long time, and... I've only been a pastor for 16 years, but I've been with Church Unlimited for just over 30 years. So I'm well used to being in prayer meetings. I'm well used to, to fasting. I'm well used to be, holding down a job and, and being in these places. But I understood the power of prayer. 
I read these words recently. It says, you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor or evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night. We don't have a Sunday service. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. God is calling his church, our church, to prayer. Prayer is not an add-on. It is essential for church growth and community transformation. And if we are to fill the mandate on this church, we need to come together as a church and pray. Now, I must do a shout-out. Nana Joy is 91 years old. She had her birthday yesterday. Oh. Also, I'm told that Irene uh, turned 80 today. What? Another week, in a week's time. But I just want to do a shout-out for Nana Joy because she's short of hearing, sometimes has a walking stick, doesn't drive a car, yet she is here in our prayer meetings most Thursdays. How about that, eh? Faithful in prayer. But if we're not doing it now, we're not going to be doing it at 90. For some, praying is easy. For some, just plain hard work. Others, it's a sacrifice. But we have to be careful of who is directing our steps. In Genesis 3, we see, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the, that God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Did Jesus really say my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? There's a voice that will be saying, oh, I don't know about that. Did Jesus really say seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you? Did he really mean all those things? Did he really say that? Is he really talking to you? Or was he just talking to the young people or the pastor? Did Paul really say, therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing? Is that for every man? Is that for men that work hard during the, the week and need to get home for their dinner? Who did that actually mean? I'm looking for people who want to pray, who believe that nothing is too big for God to handle, no matter what roadblock we face, no matter how wild our community becomes, no matter how impossible a situation appears, I want men and women and young people who are prepared to cry out to God for breakthrough. And I'm going to learn by this. We have, a, we have things that we need to pray for the church, but mainly the prayer is about what people need. And I'm just happy for that hour if everybody was praying at once, crying out to God for their need. Because God, I know, will meet that need. But you can help me on this journey as well. You can help me to grow. 
It's not like you have to be a prayer. It's not like you have to be skilled in prayer. It's not like you have to be eloquent. Coming means you have faith. And believing God can change you. Believing God can change your situation. Believing God can change your family and friends situation. Believing God can change this community is a step that we all do together. So who will make some adjustments in their schedules to be part of a prayer movement? You know, Thursdays, 5.30 p.m., we see the church growing. We see attendances growing. But we don't really see the prayer meeting growing. Sundays at 9.20 out there. When can you be there? Young people on Fridays, 5.30, 30 minutes of prayer. I'm not a young person, otherwise I'd love to be there. So I think God's speaking to all of us. He's speaking to me. And this is only half a message. There's so much more if we start to talk about revival. And I'd like to share that sometime. But let's just take the first step and say, should I be in prayer? The, just the musos has just come up for me. That would be really cool. You know, when I preach or I give a message, it's giving it to me as well because I realize I've got so much to learn. I've got so much to cry out for. I've got so much I want to see happen. But I'd like to do it together. I'd like to do it as a church together. Let's just close our eyes a minute. Lord, I delivered a message that I feel that you strongly, that you are speaking to us as a church. Lord, like in the book of Revelation, you, you saw the good things that churches were doing. But you said, I still hold this against you. And Lord, we can reach out to the lost. We can grow our Sunday school. We can grow our youth. We can have fabulous Sundays. But it's going to fall over if we don't fix up the piles underneath and build prayer into our lives and into this church and into this community. Lord, I strongly believe you're calling the men to pray with the women. And Lord, we've left it to the women for far too long. They've stepped in the gap for us. And we say thank you. Thank you.